Well, welcome everybody. Glad to see you here today. And I just want to thank all of you. I know I've been saying this a lot lately, but I appreciate all of you who have who have come back to church and been a part of what we're doing. And I just want to say again, if you're watching at home, maybe, just maybe, you've gotten out of the habit of coming to church. And if that's you, let me encourage you to break that habit and create a new one and start coming back to, to church again. Um, it, obviously, the virus, it's real. There, there's a real thing happening. And if you've got a compromised immune system or if you're you know, not, um, not comfortable yet, totally understand that, no pressure there. But I really just want to talk to those of you who perhaps have just kind of gotten out of the habit and you've gotten comfortable on Sunday mornings. And I certainly don't believe that God wants you to stay that way. So I encourage you to come on back. And, and I'm looking at all these people in here today. Aren't you glad to be back in God's house? Absolutely. It's, it's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. So anyway, that's between you and the Lord and your comfortability. But I certainly want to encourage you to, to, to think on that very strongly. Hey, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and open to Daniel chapter 3. That's where we're going to be today. And as we begin, I'm just going to say something that I've said many times before. We get to live in the greatest country on earth. That's I truly believe that with all my heart. And even though we've got many flaws in our country, you know, 2020 has been a tough year, and we've got many flaws and all those things, um, we still get to live in the greatest country on earth. And I'll tell you, one of the things that I really appreciate about living in America is having religious freedom. And, you know, I really do appreciate that. And I know that's not uh, a freedom that uh, everybody has in this, in this world. Now, I think you could make the argument that our religious freedoms have certainly been challenged in, in the years past. And, and there's things happening right now that make you wonder, you know, man. But even with all of that, we still live in the greatest country on earth. But let me just ask you a question. What if all of a sudden that was taken away? What if all of a sudden all of our religious freedoms were just gone one day? Would that change anything about what you believe and what you practice? Let me paint for you a hypothetical situation. Let's say one day, and I pray this never happens, so this is purely hypothetical. Let's just say one day that uh, we were conquered by some foreign country, okay? And we're really going to have to use our imagination because this is not a reality that, that we have ever really experienced here. And, and losing our freedoms is not something we've really had to be confronted with too hard. But let's just say, for example, um, we were conquered by a neighboring country. And then that country, what they decided to do was to take all of us out of the United States and haul us into captivity to another country. Are you still with this illustration? And then let's say all of a sudden that they're saying, you can't be a Christian anymore. You have to worship our gods and you have to live by our societal norms. And, and if you don't do that, if you don't obey what we tell you to do, we're going to throw you into a big incinerator and your life will be over. Can you imagine what that would be like? I have a hard time picturing it. But this imaginary idea that I'm describing to you and having your faith tested in such extreme ways, well, that's exactly what, what is being faced off in Daniel chapter 3. That's the exact situation. This imaginary idea for us was a reality for three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, 
and Abednego. And if that was us and we were forced to live in a foreign country and forced to, to worship other gods and forced to live by a completely different set of rules, let me just ask you, what would your response be? Would you just kind of blend in to the new culture and just say, well, you know what, everything's changed. I'm just going to go with the flow so it would be easy. Or would you, do you think right now where your face is at, no, I'm going to stand strong for what I believe. I don't care where I'm at. Where, where would you land in that? Where would you land? You know, we're in a series right now called Old School. And I spent a lot of time defining old school last week. And if you missed that message, I encourage you to go back and watch it. They're all available online, our website, Facebook, YouTube, everywhere. If you, but you know, old school, here's what I mean by old school when I talk about our faith. Old school is that uh, no bells or whistles. It's nothing fancy. Old school is kind of back to the basics. It's tried and true. It's this faith that weathers any storm. It stands the test of time. I would say it's classic. It's proven. It's that old school, Bible-believing, Christ-honoring faith. That's old school. That's what this series is all about. And I compare that old school definition to against this progressive version of Christianity that seems to be on the rise in our country. We're talking about what does it look like to have just an old school, Bible-believing, Christ-honoring faith today. And to help us do that, we're going to go back into the Old Testament and we're going to look at a season of time in in the nation of Israel, in the life of God's people, when everything got flipped upside down. Nothing was normal. But even in that very turbulent time in Israel's history, there were still these few individuals that never lost sight of their love for God. They never abandoned their convictions at all. And they're these remarkable examples of the kind of old school faith that I believe needs to be exhibited in the lives of American Christians today. And again, Daniel chapter 3 is where we're going to be. If you could have that ready to go, so we're going to be spending quite a bit of time there. Um, We started uh, last week in Daniel chapter 1, and this series is going to cover multiple books in the Old Testament, but right now we're in Daniel. We're in the front end of this season of captivity when everything got flipped upside down, and we looked at Daniel last week, and remember, he was a man who would not violate his convictions. He was a man that drew his lines and said, these are my boundaries, these are my convictions based on what I believe about God, and I am not going to 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 cross those and we talked about old school faith is anchored in conviction well just a moment ago i described this hypothetical situation about being hauled off into captivity and i asked would your faith hold would you blend in or would your faith hold well this hypothetical that i was saying was not for shadrach meshach and abednego they faced this exact situation and they faced what i would say is probably the most fearful thing that anybody could face it's like you either hold firm to your faith and follow god or you blend in but if you hold firm to your faith you are going to face death this is the scenario Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is in. You see, they're part of this group of people that got conquered by the Babylonians and hauled off 900 miles away to Babylon. That's why they're even there. King Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon, and he took the best and brightest of all the Israelites, the young guys, and they brought him into their service, and he put him through a master's degree of Babylonian culture and religions. And now Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego find themselves living in a foreign land, serving a godless king, still trying to hold true to their 
convictions. Do you know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego aren't even their Hebrew names? They had their names changed when they got to Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are their Babylonian names. So they don't even have the names that they were given at birth. So in every way, culture is trying to shape and change these three guys. But let me, let me just tell you, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have something deep down inside of them that we need to And I hope that their story lights a fire inside of all of us. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Let's just jump in here. King Nebuchadnezzar, here's what happened. He made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, your Bible might go ahead and translate that into measurements that that we can understand. Um, This is a statue that is 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. Do you think Nebuchadnezzar liked himself? I think so. I mean, like, what goes inside the mind of somebody who would build a statue of himself 90 feet tall, 6 feet wide, and, uh, or excuse me, 9 feet wide, and, and make everybody in the world bow down to it? Look at verse 4. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. So yeah, no such thing as religious freedom here in Babylon. There's no First Amendment protecting Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Babylon. So here you have a king who loves himself so much that he builds this giant statue. Everyone must worship. And I I ask the question, what goes through somebody's mind? Well, maybe this will help a little bit. Something, a little history about King Nebuchadnezzar. He reigned for 40 years. And in that 40 years, you realize he never lost one military battle. Not one. In 40 years. That, That would give you a little bit of confidence. Maybe that would give you a little bit of arrogance. History tells us that it was not uncommon for the kings of the world during this time frame to actually see themselves as deity. And they wanted to be worshipped as a god. That was actually quite common practice. So if you think about a guy that's never lost in battle, he's literally the king of the world. It's a, I mean, it's like the dominant country in the world. He's never lost a battle. He already sees himself as a god. Somebody like that probably has the potential to go ahead and build a statue 90 feet tall and make everybody worship. But that's who we're dealing with here. That is who Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are up against. That's the societal norm that they're living under. But something that King Nebuchadnezzar never considered because he's a godless king is that these Israelite young men understand something very basic about their God. That he gave these ten commandments that they had not abandoned. Do you think that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thinking about especially the first two commandments as they were given this crazy rule of obeying the statue? Do you remember the first two commandments? They're found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 2. I am the Lord your God, and you are brought, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Do you remember that one? Their very lives tell us that they completely understood the second commandment. It's found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 4. 
You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down or worship them. They're in a tough predicament, wouldn't you say? Tough predicament. When the music plays, you drop on your face and worship and you violate the first two of God's commandments. What do you do when your faith is tested? What do you do when you come up against something that's absolutely a violation of what God wants us to do? That you know this is not God's will for me. What do you do when your faith is tested? Well, in this whole series, what I want to challenge you to do is to go old school. To go old school. And here's what I think old school looks like. Last week we dealt with one. Old school faith is anchored in conviction. Here's the next one. Old school faith obeys God's commands instead of man's expectations. If you're taking notes today, that might be a really good thing to write down and remember. What is old school faith? Old school faith is obeying God's commands instead of man's expectations. And if you think about your daily life, you think about what God's desires are, and the more time you spend in God's Word, the clearer it becomes of what God's will is for your life and what He wants and what He doesn't want. We, we, we butt up against this stuff almost on a daily basis. Here's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. Look at verse 8. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the hork, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown in the blazing furnace they're like hey nebuchadnezzar remember your own rules right but there are some jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of babylon shadrach meshach and abednego they pay no attention to your majesty they neither serve your gods nor worship the the image of gold you have set up and I would say, way to go, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Can you picture the scene? I mean, this is one of those chapters of the Bible that gives us, you know, it's pretty easy to create a mental picture of what this must have looked like. Let me show you a picture. This is just an artist's rendition of this moment. Thousands and thousands of people, you know, all lined up in the plain of Dura, the, you know, the, the remnant of Israel that are in captivity, and all the people of Babylon... And you have the sea of people bowing down to the statue. Yet, in this entire sea of people, you've got just three Israelites that won't do it. Now, if that doesn't tell you the state of the Israelite nation in this moment of history, that out of all the captives that came, only three stood up of the thousands of people that came that were hauled off in captivity, there's just three. Three out of all of them. That they would not take a knee. I sometimes wonder, and this is just me wondering out loud with you today, but I wonder if the church today has a shortage of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's. You know, as I examine this progressive version of Christianity that seems to be sweeping across the nation, it makes me wonder if fewer and fewer men and women within the church, if fewer of them are actually obeying the commands of God, but rather are following man's expectations and what is comfortable in our society. 
But you know, this isn't a situation that we are faced with today. I don't know about you, but I've never been asked to bow down to a, to a statue before, have you? I, I have not experienced that. But I would say this, that we are constantly put in situations when we must choose to obey God's commands instead of man's expectations. So it doesn't look like this today, but it looks like, the, it, looks like it in other ways. Let me give you an example. Here's, here's one example, okay? When a couple, when a, you know, a, a romantic couple, because of their faith in Jesus Christ, they choose not to be sexually active. They choose not to live together before they are married. Aren't they making the exact same decision as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Because man's expectation is what? I mean, you look at our societal norms and you say, well, this is what everybody does. Man's expectations are what? That you live together before you're married, that you experience and explore a wide variety of intimate experiences with multiple partners before you ever lock it in and get married. Because that's what everybody does. That's man's expectation is that you bow down and you worship sexual immorality. And if you don't do that, well, you're some kind of weird religious Jesus freak in this world and so far out of touch with where everybody else is. At. How could you behave that way? That's so crazy. No, 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 no. Our idol worship doesn't look like this anymore. But we are faced every day with the same decision. To obey God over man's expectations in so many different ways. We're still bowing down to man's expectations, and it's a real problem today. But they refuse to do it. So look what happens next. Look at verse 13. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up. Is it true? It's like Nebuchadnezzar can't believe that they're defying him. He says now, verse 15, when you hear the sound of the, hoot, the, the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship this image I've made, very good. It's almost like Nebuchadnezzar's like, I, I get it. I get it. You know what? I'm going to give you a second chance. Maybe you didn't understand the command. Maybe you didn't understand that it applies to everybody. Maybe Nebuchadnezzar like saying, hey, look, I'll give you a second try to get this right. But then he says, but if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then, and catch this part, then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Do you hear the arrogance in Nebuchadnezzar's voice? What God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Well, if you have read the rest of the book of Daniel, you're going to find out that Nebuchadnezzar gets a real-world experience about the God who can rescue anybody who wants. And, and Nebuchadnezzar's story is far from over. But at this moment in his life, what God can rescue. Obviously, Nebuchadnezzar missed the memo that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Oh, oh, he'll learn. He'll learn one day. Look at verse 16, and you, you just got to love this part. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, 
We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if, boy, what a great couple of words, but even if, even if, even if it doesn't work out, even if it doesn't go the way we think, even if, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Now, friends, let me tell you something. Right there, what we're reading is we're reading old school faith. That's what we're seeing the example of. We are not going to serve your gods. We're not going to worship the image of gold you've set up. And I read this, and there's zero hesitation. There's not any thinking about their answer. It's not like they had to, can you give us 24 hours to think about this? There wasn't any of that. And I think that's because their faith was, was locked in. What they believed and where their convictions were, were locked in and decided upon long before they ever reached this moment in their lives. Long before there was ever a fire burning in a furnace, they already had their plan set. And their plan was obedience. We're going to obey God. We're not going to obey man's expectations. And I think about us in this room today. Maybe some of us right now are facing a very easy way out of something. It's a compromise. And you might be thinking to yourself, you know what? Just this once. And just this once I'm going to do this because it's not that big of a deal. And, and we might even justify it and say, hey, God will understand because he understands this difficult situation I'm in. And he understands the choices that I'm faced with. And I'm, I think he'll, he'll, he'll just forgive this and look the other way this one time. Now, old school faith in your situation says this. Then I'm going to obey God and I'm not going to follow man's expectations. Because... I think we've all been down this road before and we know this to be true. You compromise once, you're probably going to compromise twice. And a second compromise is, is going to lead to a third one. And before long, we're going to wake up living every single day of our life in a compromise situation. So why don't we just decide right now, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, long before we're faced with it, we're just going to obey God. That's old school faith right there. We're just going to obey God. It doesn't matter how society changes. I'm going to stay true. Now, I'll tell you, I'm inspired. and I, I don't know if you can tell or not, but I'm inspired by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm inspired by some of these examples that we're going to be looking at in this series. It also kind of reminds me of, of a famous picture from 1936. And perhaps you've seen this picture before. Have you seen this before? This is a very famous picture. It depicts a group of Germans giving the Nazi salute. But besides their misguided loyalty in this picture, do you see something a little bit off? And if you see it, don't shout it out. Let everybody look. Do you see something a little bit off in this picture? Let me put an arrow on it to kind of let you see what I'm looking at. Do, do you see what I'm pointing out here? Let me zoom in just a little bit closer so you can get a better peek. I'll put a circle around it for you. Do you see it yet? I'll zoom in even a little bit closer for you to get a really, really good look. Here in this huge crowd of people, all pledging their devotion to Hitler, in this 1936 picture, you see one guy who does not have his hand raised. In fact, his arms are crossed. So it's not even like 
casual. It's like, no, I'm not doing that. His name is August Lemesser, and he joined the Nazi party in 1931 because he needed a job. He was looking for work. And in 1935, as I understand the story, he fell in love with and got engaged to a woman named Irma. And somehow it was discovered that Irma was a Jew. And he was expelled from the Nazi party for being romantically connected with a Jewish woman. And they expelled him for dishonoring the race. And he was warned that if he continues to pursue this relationship, that he would go to prison. Well, August refused to end his relationship, and in 1938, he was arrested and sent into a concentration camp. Irma would go on and go into a concentration camp, and she would later die there. Um, August would spend several years in prison, and he would be eventually enrolled in a prison battalion and thrown out in the first line, um, badly outnumbered, poorly equipped, and he would die in battle. But that's not the part of the story that he's remembered for. What he's remembered for the most is this picture. Uh, This picture where he's standing in a sea of people and he refuses to go along with the crowd and give that Nazi salute. He was not going to participate in something he didn't believe in. And you know, when I think about old school faith, you know that no bells or whistles, nothing fancy, back to the basics, tried and true, Weather any storm, stands the test of time, classic and proven, old school, Bible-believing, Christ-honoring Christians. I think about obeying God instead of man's expectations. And the second thing I think about is this. Old school faith doesn't blend. Old school faith, it doesn't blend like August Lemesser, he, he didn't blend very well. I have no idea about his religious convictions, but when it came to what the Nazis were all about, he didn't blend. I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They didn't blend either. They stood out. Do you know the Bible has a word for that? The word is called Holiness. That's the biblical word for not blending. In fact, that word literally means to be set apart. And throughout both the Old and the New Testaments in the Bible, there is a call put out to God's people to be holy. Somebody who is holy is distinctly different from somebody who isn't. It's an obvious distinction. The church is set apart as a holy body of believers that we don't blend in to the rest of the world. We don't look like the rest of the world. This is what the Apostle Peter said about it in 1 Peter 1, 14. He said, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Now, holy is not about obeying a list of rules and not, and not you know, falling into this do's and don't list. It's, that's not holy. That's not holiness. Holiness is about living a life in Jesus' name that is just radically different than the world that we live in. 
This world we live in that cares nothing about God, holiness is living in Jesus' name a radically different life than that. And that, my friends, is probably one of my strongest rebukes of progressive Christianity. Because progressive Christianity is not all about holiness. Progressive Christianity is all about blending in and looking like the world. And not being set apart. Not being any different. Just harmonize with the world. And that's no faith at all. And I think about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They weren't called to that kind of faith. They were called to holiness. Paul said it like this in Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, so set apart, not like everybody else, because of Jesus, set apart, holy, pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, perfect will. If you really want to know about holiness, study Jesus. Read the Gospels. Because the way that Jesus lived was so different than everybody else in his world. Everything about Jesus' life is about putting on display God's character. And letting God's character be a reflection through his life. That's how Jesus lived. And our lives need to reflect that same reality. That's holy. We are distinct. We're different. We're like a light that cannot be hidden on a hill. We're we're like, you know, salt to the earth. All these descriptions. That's holiness set apart. We're different. We don't blend in. We don't take a knee. We live for Jesus. Holiness. 1 John 2, 3 says this, We know that we've come to know Him if we keep His commands. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not do what He commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys His word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know that we are in Him. Whoever claims to live in Him must live as Jesus did. Friends, I can't stress this enough. That as Christians, we don't blend in with society we simply take god at his word we believe him over everything else and we live our lives as a reflection of what he says and that's what i see in shadrach meshach and abednego god said thou shalt have no other gods before me god said do not bow down to any idols they took god at his word and that's what they did now look at verse 19 because you can tell nebuchadnezzar was not happy with their decision Verse 19 says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. Yeah, he's got some anger issues, I think. And he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. You know this had to be a terrifying experience. I mean, when you really just kind of take a step back and just don't let the words of the Bible just pass over you quickly, but really think about this moment in their lives. That had to have been terrifying. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's crazy. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. And you know what? At that point, the story could end. I mean, honestly, we could put a period at the end of this chapter and move on to chapter 4, and we're like, well, they stood their ground. Praise God. 
They died for what they believed in, and that could be the end of it, but that's not the end of it. If you've read the story, look at verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement, and he asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we threw in the fire? And they replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire. So obviously this furnace, this blaze, you could look into it, which makes it kind of sick. You could look into it and watch people burn to death. He can see in it, there's an opening, and now he sees four people in there. Walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth one looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace, and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, royal advisors crowded around them, and they saw, now just listen to this miracle, they saw the fire had not harmed them at all. Not their bodies, nor was there a hair on their heads singed, and their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Do you notice the change in the king? There's a quick change. He went from arrogance and anger to acknowledging the true God. And what does he say? Servants of the Most High God, come out here. He didn't need to verify. He didn't need to get all of his people around and said, what's this all about? Who are these guys? No, no, no. He knew who saved them. He knew it was the Most High God whom they professed would do this very thing. Look at verse 28 as we finish up. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Now this is quite a transformation right here. Arrogance, angry, all of this stuff to, oh my goodness, look what their god did. And then he made a decree. For the entire land, therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces. Well, there's a lot of work that needs to be done in his life. So he didn't tear down the statue, but he's like, let me make a little amendment here. If you talk about their God, I'll cut you to pieces. Well, Nebuchadnezzar's an interesting guy. And their houses will be turned into piles of rubble. And then he makes this connection. For there's no other God that can save this way. Friends, Nebuchadnezzar's story is not over, not by a long shot. And you're going to need to go ahead and keep reading to finish out his story. It's pretty amazing. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. You know, as we bring this this, uh, story of great faith to a conclusion, I could really probably spend three or four more weekends just talking about this. There's so much application. There's so many things. But but really, when it comes down to it, what is old school faith? What what do they teach us? Old school faith, well, it's this. Old school faith is you obey God's commands over man's expectations. That's, That's old school. Old school faith is also this. We just don't blend. We don't blend. We're we're holy. You know, I don't know if you thought much about what you want to put on your tombstone one day. Maybe you've already got it figured out, but if you don't have that figured out, you're thinking, I I need something good on my tombstone. Well, you want to know something that would reflect your faith if you live this way? It would be verse 28. What does it say? They were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own. 
Boy, wouldn't that be a great thing to be known for? Wouldn't that be a great thing to be remembered for? Wouldn't that be something for your children and your grandchildren and your great-great-grandchildren, your great-great-great-great-grandchildren? One day visit your grave and like, what, what was grandpa all about? What was grandma all about? And they read it. They would rather give up their lives than serve or worship any God except their own. May that be true of all of us here at New Life. Can I pray for you? Dear gracious God, we just give you praise and thanks for your holy word. That Lord, you preserved this example of old school faith for us to be inspired and motivated by today. And Lord, our prayer is a simple one today. We just pray that you help us to have that kind of old school faith. Lord, when we are confronted by so many different ideas and even distortions of our own faith, Lord, would you bring us back to what is true, what is grounded, what is written clearly in your word. And may we be men and women of great faith who live that way. Lord, call it old school, call it whatever you want to call it. Lord, may we just be men and women who follow you no matter what. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.